spotlighting Hawaii's leaders. We want to bring in Governor David Ige. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community? How much is this overall going to cost the state? How are you responding to the community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Beachside Roofing. Well, good morning. Happy Monday. I'm Ryan Kalei joined by Yanji Denise, and this is Spotlight Hawaii on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. Yanji, hard to believe we're already midway through December as we head towards Christmas and the new year. Uh, this morning, we have a guest to talk about a variety of issues here in the city and county of Honolulu. That's right. We are joined live from Honolulu Hale by Mayor Rick Blangiardi. And Mr. Mayor, my goodness, what a time to be in charge. There are so many things coming at you all at once. Thank you for joining us this morning. I'm very pleased to be here with you and Ryan. I always enjoy these conversations. Yeah, you're right. And as Ryan just said, we're coming up on not only Christmas, but the end of this calendar year. And come January 2nd, we will have been in office for one year. And it's, it has been a fascinating journey. It really has been. Let's start with the COVID case counts, um, you know, that sort of sets the tone for how we do as a city right now. Uh, when I looked at the daily averages over the last 14 days, the other counties seem to be going down. The trend is, you know, sort of on average for the other three counties uh, below, you know, 30 percent reduction over the last 14 days. But Honolulu County, County seems to be trending upwards. How are you yeah. feeling about where we are in terms of COVID right now? Well, we're trending upwards slightly, and I would tell you at my discussions with the healthcare professionals that I, I talk with, they, they'll tell you that we really need to get off the case counts right now because there's an inevitability to case counts. You know, the thing we're looking at right now has a lot to do with who's in hospitals, what our hospital care is. Uh, I think we're going to be dealing with case counts uh, as long as we have people who have not been vaccinated or even people who have been vaxxed somewhat until they get a booster, different things are popping up along the way. This disease did not go away. Uh, we're still waiting to see the impact of Omicron. You know, so at this point right now, everything is manageable. And while uh, we don't want anybody getting sick, there seems to be a reality to that. So that's what we're gauging, less on case counts and more on the um, dramatic impact, if you will, of what is of what we're experiencing, and right now our hospitalizations are really under control. When you look at the lifespan lifespan of this pandemic, we've kind of gone through different phases, whether it be through different restrictions, the lifting of restrictions, uh, you know, a push for vaccinations, uh, and and so forth. We've kind of gone through these measured approaches. As we look into the future, into the new year, what is the game plan, so to speak, when dealing with the pandemic? From your perspective, is it uh, a renewal in vaccination in booster shots what is the next step so to speak as more regulations seem to have been lifted over the past few weeks yeah you know ryan it's hard to predict the future but you're absolutely right we've gone through this whole year we started off in a tier model worked our way through that got to the fourth of july weekend thinking we were going to lift everything then we imposed uh well the state made up a tier five and it was all tied to vaccination levels at 65 and 70 percent and no sooner could we even really get on the way with that then, you know, the Delta variant hit in August and September. 
we all had a lot of trepidation. I still remember going into Labor Day weekend. Here we were at the 4th of July weekend talking about lifting restrictions completely and coming to Labor Day weekend. And we're looking at <clears throat> September 2nd and 3rd. We broke 1,068 cases each one of those two days. Our hospitals were over capacity. We had oxygen supply problems. And it really was very daunting. And we're really concerned. <clears throat> University of Hawaii published a report. Uh, it was... Uh, in the, in the paper predicting by October, we'd have 3,400 cases a day. And what that meant, that was very daunting if that were to be true and what was gonna mitigate that if anything, and nobody was quite certain. And that's when we moved into not wanting to shut down the economy, but what we did very quickly was we canceled all large gatherings and we, we came out with safe access to Wahoo. We strongly encouraged vaccinations, et cetera. And then miraculously, you know, we were, you know, seemingly just a couple of months later, being able to lift all restrictions effective December 1. Uh, and now we're, you know, 13 days into that and feeling pretty good. But along the way comes the Omicron virus, right? So now we know the one thing that we did get from the Delta was 30% of the people got vaccinated above where we were at 60. So now we're, you know, a very good population position of people who've initiated one vaccine on Oahu, people who are completely vaccinated. Plus that we started vaccinating our keiki as well. And we've introduced boosters and we're like, I think approaching 300,000 booster shots. So we've protected our most vulnerable with vaccines, which seems to be the best, um, best resource we have against this. Okay. So now on a going forward basis, having gone through all of that, I think it's safe to say that we'll, we'll have to pay attention to what happens with Omicron and whether or not it remains to be what a lot of people have called incidental as far as its lethality. It hasn't been uh, known to do that, but it's really still a little bit too soon to tell. Delta seems to still be uh, the major thing to deal with. And I think that, you know, going forward, hopefully our vaccines will give us protection, our practices in the community. Uh, we're going to maintain uh, safe access for a while here. We think it's working. Uh, we've not seen the cluster reports. I think people will be wearing masks. Uh, it's, you know, I still see people wearing masks outdoors all the time, even though they don't have to. And, and uh, so I think our community has been amazingly responsive. And that's why I, I think on a going forward basis, we're going to be very careful. I think we have the benefit of knowing now that we have so nine out of 10 people are vaccinated. They're eligible. I mean, that's, you know, or, or will be very shortly. So that's a tremendous, um, you know, that's a tremendous response, you know, to to not only getting vaccines, but for caring for each other and, and also fighting the disease. And so wearing masks, um, I think people are careful. I understand we had 9,000 people at the marathon yesterday. I think that's probably the largest event. Um, which I think was terrific. I mean, we didn't get any surges from the two football games or from the Thanksgiving holiday. I think we're all trying to learn how to live with this disease. And I think we've done a good job here in Hawaii of, of being sensitive and respectful uh, and, and getting our vaccines and at the same time testing people. We've done a lot of testing. We'll continue to do that. And then people going forward and just being careful. It's the best I can tell you. You know, you mentioned safe access to Wahoo and that it will be here for some time. Do you have any sort of a threshold or idea of when that could sunset and what you would base that on? And then following on yeah. that, Christine Donnelly, who writes the Kokua column, says, can you ask about enforcement of safe access to Wahoo requirements? How do restaurant patrons report restaurants that are not checking cards or tests? What agency follows up? So 
first question, how long will it be here? And second question is Christine's. Um, what about those who are in violation? Yeah, I haven't. Um, we haven't put a you know a, a line in the sand as to how long. I think you know again, just when we thought we were going to be really clear in a lot of ways, Omicron came up, and so I, I, I think there's a we're being cautious right now. And what we do know, the Safe Access Oahu has made patrons feel safe. I've had restaurateurs tell me, I've had gym operators tell me that. And so that's what they're concerned about is providing a good experience for their customers as we try to rebuild and get people going back. I mean, people are self-selecting. I still know people who don't go out quite enough yet because they're being cautious. I think everybody's been through that. So I, I think we have that going on, I think probably through the first quarter. Uh, with respect to um, patrons complaining, I you know what? I don't have the answer for that on restaurants who are not reporting uh, or checking vaccines. The few restaurants I've been to lately, everyone has checked, and I thought that was pretty good. I think we can find out. I don't know if anybody in this office here, as we get the question, could let you know where they could report that to. Uh, to my knowledge, we haven't um, had too many complaints, but I've been told right now you can call the police, you can call HPD and, and, and the Liquor Commission. Although we haven't had to shut down any bars of late, we've had some pretty good behaviors, but I, I don't doubt for a moment that people have maybe gotten lax in some places. I've just not experienced that. But I know you can call you can call the police, and I do know that the police, if they get a phone call, will go and, and investigate that. I do know that. I want to switch gears to another important topic that you know that has really caused concern amongst many in our community, and that's what's happening at Red Hill. Uh, I wanted yeah. to know your stance on on um, and your involvement maybe in this process, the communication that you're having, of course, because of the fact that uh, this water, you know, this could impact a large population of people here on the island, including those who have already been impacted for those who live on the military bases. Yes. Uh, but but your thoughts and, and what uh, any updates that you can provide us in your involvement and what's happening. Well, I don't know if there could be a more serious matter, Ryan. I mean, our, our water supply is vital to our very existence. And, and so obviously our sensitivity and concern levels have been really at the highest level. Uh, and, you know, why I've said repeatedly, I didn't want to impugn the integrity of the Navy and its ability to remedy whatever they had to to do up at Red Hill, uh, and that involves shutting down their you know the the halava shaft and water. Our, our board of water supply, led by Ernie Lau, and my conversations with him, I don't think on the city side we can have anybody more diligent than that. And that right now, admittedly, there's there's a difference of opinion, and and how the Navy and the government to date. Is, is saying with respect to what's caused the contamination and, and maybe how the Board of Water Supply would be looking at it. And that's what's getting reconciled through a lot of discourse and briefings. I know this has the attention. I was just with Admiral Papadaro last week uh, and, and, and discussing it when I was out for the uh, Inouye commissioning, USS Inouye commissioning. And at the highest level of the Navy, I've been briefed by Admiral Cott as well. We've been involved in trying to relocate those families. I know that they're working exhaustively on it. We're dealing with an aged infrastructure up at Red Hill. There's no question this is an 80-year-old facility. And, and while they verified that the tanks themselves were not leaking, uh, there seems to be something in the lines. I mean, they know now and they've disclosed that it was very real. And the 4,300 homes that were pretty much impacted, again, most of those nearly 2,000 on the uh, joint base at Pearl Harbor and Hickam. 
uh, where a lot of those families have come from that have been relocated. But clearly our own aquifer, our water supply is of the utmost importance. And I'm relying on the Board of Water Supply and, and, and the briefings we're getting uh, to stay very, very close to that. And, and, and we're trying to do whatever we can as a city to help enforce, if you will, whatever needs to be done to, to, be, to provide the assurance to our general public that they're going to be safe. And right now, the reports I've had and the assertions I've had by the military is that the general population is safe. You know, Ernie Lau on this program said there's a lot of inconsistencies between what the Navy says and what they actually do. And yeah. there is a lot of mistrust in this community toward the military community and toward those leaders uh, because of past spills and the initial response to this one. Are you confident that the Navy will indeed be a trustworthy partner in taking care of this issue? Well, you know, I absolutely want to say yes to that. Um, because it's 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 our military, but I understand where Ernie's coming from, and he has a you know we've been in office just one year, and Ernie's had a long history of working with that. And as you just said, Yunji, there have been leaks in the past, and I think that we're at a moment of truth now. Um, and so, as I said earlier, I don't want to impugn the integrity of of these of of the military leaders who have said they're putting their best foot forward on this. I think we are into that moment of reckoning and a lot of decisions are gonna be made now because we've not, even though there've been leaks in the past, we have not had it like what's happening right now where they've had to displace nearly 3,500 of their own families. I think in those homes, in the universe of that, there's some 27,000 people being impacted. Of course, our greater population as well uh, is, is on full alert. I think you have to be somewhat trusting uh, that they're going to do their best efforts under these circumstances, given the reality here. This is not, not something that gets argued academically as to what it was or wasn't. There's a reality here now in that moment of truth. So uh, I don't think we can have a better advocate than Ernie Lau running the Board of Water Supply. And I, I, I take my cues from him on that side, on the city side, of making sure our general population is safe. And we're holding those people accountable to fix it accountable and they seem to be responding responding well to that accountability my conversations with the military is that nobody has ducked the issue there just seems to be a difference in interpretation as to what has caused what you know there, we're, there have been calls by members of the congressional delegation uh specifically senator Schatz, who have called for an independent organization an outside organization to be responsible for some of the testing in the epa uh, and not necessarily relying on the findings of the the military uh, and their testing, and even taking it out of the hands of the Board of Water Supply to let the EPA be that body. Uh, your thoughts on that uh, for what Senator Schott's proposal and, and his recommendation is? Well, I think, uh, I think, Ryan, given what's at stake, I'm, I mean, for testing, I mean, if, let's bring in the very best test we can get. And if, in fact, the EPA somehow is interpreted as being even better than our own Board of Water Supply, and that's going to create safety and, and peace of mind, them for that. I, the one thing we don't want to do is subordinate our general public to any feeling of being threatened, if you will, uh, by contaminated drinking water. So whatever's going to provide assurance, you know, look, it's been difficult enough. We just opened up today's discussion talking about all that we've been through with respect to COVID. And now we have this and they're throwing the storm we had last week. I mean, you know, the resiliency of our community is being tested in very profound ways, not the least of which is what hap has happened to us economically and what we're still facing as we look to rebuild and all the psychological damage that's come from that, people losing businesses this past year. And 
and careers and all kinds of other things, right? So, you know, there's a lot on the line here. So anything we can do to remedy any of the situations, I'm going to be in full favor for. And if, uh, and if in fact, that's determined that that is sort of the, the gold seal, if you will, of approval, if it takes that, then I say bring it on. Let's do the best thing we can for the people who live here. Another thing testing, I would say, the patience of a lot of people in our community is the conversation on rail. Uh, we, we talked about COVID, we talked about Red Hill, and now something else that's caused a lot of controversy, that is rail. Lori Kahikina was on this program recently. Uh, she said Middle Street is basically off the table. I know that when you were campaigning, you said that that was still an option. If it didn't pencil, then that's where it would end. She says they have the funds to get to downtown. Uh, tell us what your thoughts are on the project as it stands right now. And she also said that they plan to hopefully turn over the keys to you folks, uh, at least for mm -hmm. part of the rail by the by next summer. Do you plan to actually allow the train to, to start running when you get those keys? Well, with some trepidation, let me contradict you for a second or defend myself. I never said during the campaign we would stop at Middle Street. I never said that. I think my my um, the guy I was running against said I said that. We, we never said that. What we did say, though, is if we didn't have enough money to build it to Al Moana, if the number, what I said all along, if the numbers don't make sense, the strategy doesn't make sense, and the numbers weren't making sense. And, of course, as we also said during the campaign, we weren't privileged to the inside uh, numbers, if you will. I tried to get those from, at that time, the CEO, Andy Robbins, to really understand what their thinking was. And I was told, after you get elected, we'll be happy to divulge that. Meanwhile, just before we came into office, as you know, the prior administration fired the CEO, pulled out the P3, announced a multi-billion dollar overage and a completion date somewhere around 2033. That's what we walked into. And so since that time, you know, what we tried to do very simply was understand the numbers. And so, you know, Lori's already said some things. We are in breach of contract with the FTA, okay, and have been for some time now. That's a very serious position to be in. And one has to be very careful one starts talking about um, being in breach of a landmark case. At the same time, it could be argued that the public's trust has been breached as well. And so everything we've done over the course of the last month, and we meet weekly, both with the heart board, well, with chair of the heart board, with uh, Chair Waters from the city council, with Lori Kaikina and Rick Keene and Roger Morton and John Nauchi. We spend 90 minutes a week and we have ongoing calls throughout the week on where we are. And as she's just disclosed to you, you know, we're not going to stop at Middle Street. We know we have enough money to get us, we hope, down to downtown. Beyond that is where the problem lies. And that's where the current deficit, I think, was reported $1.97 billion lies and what it would take to get from a downtown or perhaps a civic center location. So, that's what we're evaluating, but I need to go back and I'm not at liberty to talk about some of the things that are on the table with the FTA. I've had, I've had several conversations with them. I think I'm going to be going back to come to an understanding of where we are because the FFGA, which is the full funding grant agreement that this city entered into with the Federal Transit Authority, you know, requires us to go to Alamoana. If we can't do that, if we can't do that, then there's a forfeiture of funds and there's already precedent to do that. And we're trying to argue you know, with them and in the sake in the sake of where we are, what a you know, what a fully functioning rail system is. And um and so we're gonna try to see how far can we possibly build it. So right now, um, you know, we think we probably can begin interim operations in either July or August of twenty two, uh, as Laurie's probably already said. Uh there's probably gonna be a natural pause at Middle Street. Um 
but we're not even going to get there, it looks like, until the spring of 24. Uh, and, and then after that, it's about a five-year window to get downtown, down the Dillingham Corridor. And the Dillingham Corridor is going to have two systems being built virtually simultaneously. It's going to be the guideway above for where the cars are going to ride. It's also the underground utilities, which is a bulk of expenses going down there. So this is no small task to come down that Dillingham Corridor to get us past Chinatown. And my target personally is to get to the Civic Center, which is right outside of Kaka, right on the doorstep of Kakako, which would leave us two stops short. That's what we're trying to determine based on the amount of monies that we have available to us. Can we do that? They've done a lot of, um, uh, how you want to say it, uh, they've revalued uh, their engineering. Uh, and, and so there's been other, other things that they've done as well uh, to reduce costs, which is why the numbers have come out differently. Uh, we've hired and got through TriUnity a third-party review verifying those numbers on our costs so we feel pretty good about what we're doing. And all this lends itself to saying, okay, you know, what are the numbers and what makes sense? What's our strategy? What can we actually deliver without raising property taxes to people? And what's acceptable to the FTA? And that's the part that I can't really speak about because I don't know yet. Because clearly, you know, as it's been said, you know, we don't have enough money to go to Alamoana. And how are we going to do that? Or do we do that? And that's what's that's what's hanging in the balance right now. Also, in that conversation with Laurie Kahikina, she announced that she would be uh, accepting the role of a permanent position, taking over uh, and going from that title of interim to the actual um, CEO and overseeing uh, the, this project. Uh, your thoughts and confidence working with her thus far and just the overall relationship you have and your thoughts about her taking over this role permanently? I'm going to be very supportive of Laurie. I've seen how, how she's worked this past year uh, and she's brought a lot to this. Uh, we we didn't walk into an ideal situation, as I just described, uh, and I think given that circumstance, I don't think anybody could have worked harder or apply their knowledge and everything else that she's brought in the decisions they've made, the hiring that they've made, the people they surround themselves with, the reorganization, if you will, uh, of how things function, the collaboration with the hard board itself. Um, and Colleen Hanabusa coming on board has helped a lot, and she's in those weekly meetings. I can tell you right now, it's unprecedented what we do here. Having the heart, the chair of the heart board, the chair of the city council, Lori and Rick, my head of transportation services, there's nobody in the state that knows anything more about transportation than Roger Morton. I can promise you that. And John Nowucci is a great deputy. And Mike Formby's in, in here as the managing director, and he knows a lot about rail as well. So we've had the best minds. It's been very educational for me, applying it in a collaborative and, and cooperative way to make the most out of this because we feel an enormous obligation to the people of this island here to, to do the best we can by this. We have remained somewhat under the radar, at least I have in talking about it because I still have yet to work out where we are with the FTA and that's coming, but we had to get all this other stuff organized first. And then we'll be happy to talk more specifically, definitively about where we are with rail, but that's a big conversation that's gonna happen in January. Uh, another transportation issue affecting the city right now is this issue with the handy van and the hack that has happened. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit of an update on that? And has the city actually received any kind of a ransom uh, yeah. demand or anything like that? Yeah, good question. You know, uh, no, we didn't have, we did not get any ransom demands. That was one of the first questions we asked. And apparently, uh, we're back. We've normalized our bus and bus operations and our handy van operations. Um, but apparently, and I just this morning was briefing this, there's been a lot of cyber attacks 
elsewhere nationally. It's not just been here in Hawaii. In fact, um, we had uh, another one this morning uh, on something else that's come up that I'm still waiting to get the details of, uh, but there seems to be a rash of this happening right now. So no, no, there were no ransom demands made, a lot of inconvenience, which really bothered us greatly. And we, we really hope that that doesn't happen again. I think we're doing everything we possibly can to ensure that that doesn't. Of course, another <laughs> incident that happened this week was, or last week was the heavy rains that uh, really yeah. a lot of people suffered through. Uh, we saw some of the damages reported throughout the island. I know a lot of people breathing a sigh of relief, but there is some damage that has been done out there. If you can give us an update on anything happening and what people uh, who are, who have suffered through that storm, how they could get some uh, additional assistance. Well, first of all, the scale of the storm was amazing because it was the second largest rainfall we've had since 1958 was the last time that Oahu had eight to 10 inches of rain in the time period we had. And so we um, we had some some significant damage, but none that I would say was necessarily catastrophic per se. And I want to be careful about that um, because we do, I believe, had some 200, as of Friday, some 250 um, uh, applications come in asking for help. In fact, I think we can put up on the screen, um, if you have a damage, we're still doing the damage assessment, right, is what I'm trying to say. That's why I'm hesitant to say, you know, we had the floods earlier this year. What was catastrophic was we lost the Wailua Bridge and we had to repair that. And you know that created roadway problems and transportation. We got that done in less than seven months after initial ex, you know, announcement it was gonna take more than two years. I'm really pleased we did that. We had nothing like that happening, but I'm not denying the fact that there's probably a lot of residents damage. I wanna be really clear about that because for those people, it is catastrophic. But you can, if you got it up on the screen right now at honolulu.gov slash DEM if you um, have damage to report and we're going to certainly try to help as many people as we possibly can. So um, that was pretty incredible. But, you know, we were fortunate here on Oahu. A lot of the water stayed in the channels. Maui, I talked to Mayor Victorino the other day, Friday, in fact, they had over 20 inches of rain and they had a lot of water debris and everything come down from Haleakala and, and a lot of other places and a lot of damage they're dealing with there. And even Hawaii Island uh, had almost almost 18 inches of rain. So we probably had the least rainfall, but we have a concentrated with bigger urban areas here. Uh, and we, I think, got by the storm as best as one could hope. I know we had some early hours in the emergency operating center hoping for the best. It was a tough storm and um, we just keep going forward and doing everything we can against future flood. I mean, we've got a couple of flood mitigation projects going on right now, uh, but we're just going to have to deal with that stuff on a going forward basis and, and hope for the best. I know we go from issue to issue to issue. I want to get in one more, and that is the Loja Stadium, the redevelopment plans for Halava. What are your thoughts? Um, you know, governors Abercrombie, Cayetano, uh, and Wahe'e have all said that the focus should be housing, not a new stadium. And they say that perhaps a stadium should be built uh, on the UH Manoa campus. Yeah. What, what are your thoughts on that? Should there be a stadium at Halava? You know, that's... That's a topic I really have a lot of interest in. So I'm glad you asked me that. I um, look. I remember. I remember playing at the old stadium and then coaching at the old stadium. And when they announced that they were going to build Aloha Stadium at Halava, that seemed like it was so far away. You know why? Why would they do that? Because of the intimacy of Mo'ili Ili, if you will. Um, and then in turn, it became. I can't believe I've lived through a whole cycle of a stadium having been there on opening night and 
coaching in the first game, and now it's been closed, but I have. Uh, and look, the Halaba site um, got to be pretty convenient, but I, 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 I don't. I don't know if you can build it on campus. I know that they're talking about expanding. And I've been to the stadium. I went to the first football game that was open to the public. Um, I went to the stadium uh, that night. We had 5,000, 9,000. It's a much different experience. It's more intimate. You're basically on top of the field. And I know they're talking about by next year expanding it to 15,000. But I think what the governors are approaching is something bigger than that. My concern, since I go way back to that field, having practiced there and played there and coached there. And, you know, Dole Street's always been the same. Lower Campus Road has always been the same. The only thing they ever did, and I forget when they did it, when we finally built the baseball stadium, they opened up the back end of it to get out of there. It's the road structure. If you're talking about any kind of, I, I don't know how that works when you talk about the feasibility. I think there's probably somewhere to make enough space down there to build, well, I think what they're talking about, a, a 25 or 30,000 seat stadium, perhaps, but it's the ingress and egress that I don't understand because that road system in and around, uh, you know, that's been the same cutoff on H1 forever to go around and, or, or if you, and then going up University Ave to get around Dole Street. And it's been challenging enough when we've had sellouts at the Stan Sheriff. So I, I can't understand how that then becomes feasible to build a stadium there. So therefore you go back to the existing site with the, with the access to the rail, et cetera, on looking forward here as to whether, I think Halava seems to be a designated site uh, that, that would work other than, and I don't think anybody here seems to want to talk about building on the West Oahu campus, which is where I thought they might think about because it seems to me you have the greater the flexibility of doing that because ultimately, if they build this 35,000 seat stadium first, they got a 98 acre situation. They're talking about 23 acres for the stadium. And then the balance would be, you know, for retail, that's a pretty crowded situation. So does that answer your question? I think, you know, I, I mean, it, to me, Halava seems like it. I've seen the models of what they're talking about, which is just slightly Makai of where it is right now. And then they would build out and develop. And look, and the, the, those kinds of complexes, they look great when you listen to the presentations and we certainly have the road system that gets us there and then you'll have rail. So that's probably the most feasible thing. And I'm hesitant because I'm appreciative of the fact that, you know, the governors, John Wayhey and Neil Abercrombie and Ben Kaitan have come out, three governors I knew during my time uh, before and when I was involved in, in the UH football program, uh, that they, they take such an interest in it. I have yet to have one of them tell me how they would do it with the roads. I get the notion. Playing on campus is a great notion. It's good for the students. You know, you almost envy these stadiums on the mainland that have their on-campus stadiums. It becomes, you know, it's almost like a religious site, if you will. It's there and, it's, and people can see it. You know, it holds great memories and alumni come back, all that. I just don't think we have the physical space to do it or the road access. Uh, half an hour goes really quickly when we <laughs> always speak with you with a variety of topics and we really appreciate it. But before we let you go, I just wanted to allow you, this is our last uh, show with you this year. Uh, any final message that you have for those watching as we head into this holiday season? Well, no, I, look, I thank you. I think, look, we have been through an incredible year and this just so happened was our first year in office, but it was an incredible year for all of us, what we've just experienced. And so all I can do is really, from the bottom of my heart, I really want to wish everybody who may be watching this show, everybody who lives here, 
you know, with the holidays here, just a joyous holiday season. And I hope that everybody's hearts are filled with love and laughter. We've been through so much. Uh, we've got a great future to look forward to, to look forward towards. And I just um, want to wish everybody good health, especially. Okay, Mayor Rick Blangiardi joining us from Honolulu Holly. Thank you so much for spending so much time with us this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you. So the questions next year get a little easier, right? <laughs> <laughs> Only if the issues do. <laughs> uh, hopefully they do. And hopefully they do. Better days ahead. Thank you both. Aloha. Aloha. Thank you, Mayor. Great to hear from him. We covered a lot of ground. Uh, sounds like he's pretty comfortable with where the cases are now. He said that pretty much we need to get away from looking strictly at case counts and really shift our focus to hospitalizations, basically saying that the virus is here uh, and that we're going to have you know, some cases for the foreseeable future. So how we interpret the data, sounds like from him, uh, needs to change and the focus should really be on hospitalizations. And at this point, uh, we are in a place where we can take care of everyone who needs care. Yeah, and we also heard from him on the issue of Red Hill. You could uh, really hear in his voice uh, his concern and the fact that this is an issue that he is uh, working closely with all the officials involved from the military to those local officials and also saying uh, and putting a lot of confidence behind Ernie Lau uh, saying, you know, he is probably the best person that we have in the city and city and county of Honolulu working in that position. Uh, we've seen that passion when we interviewed him last week, Friday. If you missed that episode, we encourage you to go back and watch and listen uh, to Ernie Lau explain uh, what is happening at Red Hill and really sense that passion. But the mayor is saying that he will continue to work closely with the Board of Water Supply, as well as all the parties involved to stay updated. Uh, updated on what's happening and also mind the people that the military has sent some of their best and brightest, uh, as he said, to really help to find a way to mitigate and solve this situation. Yeah, on the issue of restrictions, uh, he did note that we did get rid of quite a few restrictions at the start of this month, but it does sound like Safe Access Oahu is here to say, he says, at least through the first quarter of the year, because he's heard positive responses from uh, business owners, from restaurants and gyms and whatnot, uh, that this program is working and that it's inspiring a lot of confidence in patrons. The vast majority of the residents here in the city of County and Honolulu have been vaccinated, and so it sounds like we're going to have that for some time. Uh, on the issue of rail. Um, there does sound like there's a lot still obviously to be worked out. He says that they need to meet with the FDA, FTA because as it stands now, they are in violation. They don't have the money to go all the way to Alamoana Center, which is what the contract demands. And so uh, his hope is to get it to Civic Center and that that would satisfy the agreement. And they're going to work all that out hopefully in January. Uh, although it's doubtful that just one meeting will take care of that issue. But he did express his confidence in Lori Kahikina. And it does sound that for now, at least, uh, we've moved on from Middle Street. And really, we're looking forward to downtown Civic Center and perhaps beyond. Yeah, the conversation that no doubt will continue to go on with the rail uh, and we'll continue to try to uh, our best to get not only the mayor on, but Lori Kahikina and stay updated with that project as it continues to evolve. Uh, on Wednesday, we will be speaking with Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, who will update us on some of the things that are happening, of course, with COVID-19. Uh, we also know that he personally visited Red Hill, want to get his thoughts on that as well from his experiences by being on site. And so we look forward to that conversation with Lieutenant Governor on Wednesday here at 1030. Until then, stay safe and aloha. Aloha. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Beachside Roofing.